Uh, we saw a lot of prosperous times <laughs> in this country. We've seen a lot of blessed days and we've seen a lot of hard days also. And God is still being God and he will always be God. And I, I just believe that it, when we as born again believers have a made up mind that no matter what comes our way, God is still God and he's on his throne and we are going to serve him. We can walk around in the midst of a dark day with a smile on our face. I think that's what he wants us to do. Don't you? Don't you believe that God wants us to, to be the happiest people in this world? We should be. And if you're serving the Lord and he's brought you through this virus, <laughs> we ought to be appraising the Lord. If you're serving him and he's brought you through cancer, we ought to be praising the Lord. If you've lived a day in this life and God has brought you through that day, we ought to be praising the Lord. Just to know that God is still God and we, we're still here and we can serve him is enough to praise him. God has truly been faithful to us. And I know, I know this, the past year and I know coming into this new year, we've seen things we didn't think we would see. We experienced things we didn't think we would experience. And we've watched people suffer like we didn't think they would ever suffer. And, and it seems like there are times when, when people are walking around with their head hung down like all hope is lost. But I promise you, God is faithful. According to the word of God and by the authority of God's word, we can trust that God is faithful. And today we want to just talk for a few moments about his faithfulness. We want to focus our attention on thanking God for his faithfulness. If you have your Bibles, we can turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians this week, uh, chapter 1, we're going to look in verses 4 through 9. And as we look in these verses, just be praying with me this week. Because it just appears to me that we're going to talk about some things that the church in Corinth was dealing with that... We want to encourage each other that we don't fall into these same things. And I, I don't know if we're going to be back here next week, but I've got an idea that the Lord is moving me to preach through a, a few, oh, a couple of chapters anyway, or at least a few chapters in this book. And if we end up staying here throughout the whole book, that'll be fine. Uh, God's word is, is profitable to us whenever we look into his word and wherever we look. Now, as you're turning there, as we are going to look in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Michelle Johnson once wrote this. Sometimes we need to take a look at where we've been to really understand his faithfulness and his love for us. She then writes... Wouldn't it be cool if we could sit down with some of the men and women of the Bible and talk about their memories of God's faithfulness in their lives? Man, wouldn't it be awesome just to sit down with Joseph and hear his, his story, to hear his words on, on the events that took him from a jury prison to the palace what about if we could talk with Daniel about how faithful God was to him as he was 
thrown into a den of lions and, and God kept him. Well, how about those Hebrew boys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Wouldn't it be great to be able to just see the clothes that they wore as they were cast into this fiery furnace, to to know that there was no scorch upon the clothes, there was no smell of smoke upon the clothes? Wouldn't it just be a reminder to us of how faithful God is? I think it would help us to really thank him for what he has done. And sometimes in the busyness of life, we forget to remember his faithfulness. Well, Paul, as he is writing to the church in Corinth, he he begins this letter first by greeting them and then by thanking God for his faithfulness. Look with us in verses 4 through 9. The Bible says, I thank my God always. Concerning you for the grace of God which was given to you by Christ Jesus. That you were enriched in everything by him in all utterance and all knowledge. Even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you so that you come short in no gift. Eagerly waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. Who will also confirm you to the end. That you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful. By whom you were called into the fellowship of his son. Jesus Christ our Lord. God we thank you today. For your faithfulness. Oh God that when we don't deserve your faithfulness. God when. We are not faithful to you. We can know that you are faithful to us. So God, we thank you this day for not only being faithful to us, but being obedient to the Father in that you gave your life for us. That you arose from the grave to give us hope. And that God, you are coming back. You're sending your son back to receive us unto yourself. God, you are faithful. And we just thank you for loving us when we don't deserve it. Now, God, we pray that you would speak to each and every heart through this message. And if there's one who doesn't know you through your son, Jesus Christ, let this be the day that they realize that you have been faithful. And God, that you're worthy to be praised and that they would call out to this day, what must I do to be saved? God, we'll praise you for all that's accomplished. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. So, as we think about this section, this passage in this chapter, we must put this book in its proper context. If not, we can take this and run off in directions that just would not so much as confuse us, but that may not be truthful. Uh, When we look at the book of Corinth, Paul, the apostle Paul, he had made his way there. And once he got to Corinth, he was alone. It appears that Silas and Timothy had decided to stay back in Macedonia when Paul left. Now, Paul had been run out of several different cities. So he leaves Macedonia and he's on his way to, to Corinth. And while he, when he gets there, he meets this couple 
by the name of Aquila and Priscilla. He finds out quickly that they have something in common. And what they have in common is a trade. And he finds that they are tent makers, which is something that he was very skilled at. And so he, he begins the, the talk with them, it appears, and I can imagine as, as Paul is talking with them, the conversation began with what they had in common. It began with what, how they went about uh, making tents. But, but if we know Paul, according to what we, we see and what we read about Paul, I'm sure the conversation, it turned to Jesus Christ. And as it turned to Jesus Christ, what we find is they, they must have offered a lodging place for Paul during his stay in Corinth. So he begins to stay with them. And, and as he's staying with them in Corinth, he, he finds his way to the synagogue every, every Sabbath. Paul goes to the synagogue to worship. And while he is there, he is reasoning in the synagogue. When we look in chapter 18 of the book of Acts, we can find all of this narrative of what took place with Paul there. What we find is, is that he reasoned with them. In other words, he engaged in the worship. I want to stop right there and just say this, that whenever we're in worship, it's okay that we engage in the worship. You know, it's okay if we raise our hand. It's okay if we say amen. It's okay if we stand up and give God glory. It's okay if we raise hands to God and worship and praise of him. It's okay to engage in the worship of our God. But it's also okay to sit right where you're at and weep tears of joy or tears of, uh, of praise to him. Ever how God moves you to engage with him. That's what we want. We want people to come to the house of God and worship and praise. Engaging with God and not just thinking about the songs. Not just thinking about the message. But having our minds and hearts solely set upon our Lord. Here Paul engages in the worship. He begins to not only offer insight to the truth of scripture, but he also is able to answer questions that some may would have. So he engaged with them. Isn't it always good in Sunday school or in Bible study when we get to engage in the study, when we get to ask questions or we get to share some input or we get to just share what God has has placed in our hearts and minds to where it just adds to the lesson. And that's exactly what Paul is doing in the synagogue when the Bible says that he reasoned with them and while doing this he was able to persuade some some Jews some Gentiles he was able to persuade them toward the gospel of Jesus Christ now later when Silas and Timothy arrived in Corinth Paul being led by the spirit began to testify to the Jews according to the scriptures now when we see that that he began to testify when we see that in chapter 18 of the book of Acts, what he's actually saying is Paul began to preach the gospel. Where before Paul was teaching the scriptures, now he's preaching the gospel. He is testifying of Jesus Christ. And because of that, he begins to get run out. In other words, he's opposed. And not only is he opposed, but some of them begin to blaspheme against what Paul was teaching. And what what Paul does then is he just shakes his clothes. He knocks the dust off his feet and he leaves the synagogue. I want to tell you, there are times when we're going to come 
in contact with people who want nothing to do with what we have to say, who want nothing to do with what we have to offer. They want nothing to do with Jesus Christ. Don't get discouraged. Shake everything off. Just go ahead and knock the dust off your shoes and keep going sharing the gospel. That's where Paul was at. So what Paul found, though, there was this Jew who was there by the name of Justice who offered his home because Justice began to believe what Paul was preaching and what Paul was teaching. You know, here's how God works in this. Justice home, Justice invited Paul to come into his home and begin to preach there and they invited people in. But the good thing was, or, or God's providence was, is that, that Justice home was right beside the synagogue. So those who were going in, listening to Paul, it's bound on the scripture, were able to see that he was preaching the gospel right next door and they could choose whether they wanted to hear the truth or they wanted to be bound by the law of the Jews. Paul remained there as more began to be to identify with the message. He remained in Corinth for a year and a half. And right here, out of this home of justice, the, the church in Corinth was started. After that year and a half, Paul left for Ephesus. Now, Paul left Ephesus after a short time and traveled to some other areas, but he makes his way back to Ephesus. And when he makes his way back, he gets a couple of letters. One, he gets a letter from the, from the family or the household of Chloe. We see that in 1 Corinthians 1 in chapter and verse 11. In chapter 1 and verse 11, it tells us here, for it, was, it has been declared to me concerning you, my brethren, by those of Chloe's household. Paul's in Ephesus and he gets a letter from Chloe's household about division within the, within the church in Corinth. For it says here that there were contentions among you. Not only does he get a, a letter about divisions, but he, he, got a, he got a letter from the church asking questions. And we find that in chapter 7 in verse 1 where, where Paul says, Now concerning the things which you wrote to me. And part of the things that they were asking was about marriage and about divorce. And, and so Paul deals with those things right there, right in this letter. And what we find here is from the information given to Paul from these two resources that, uh, that there, were, there was issues in the church. There was division and there was immorality. Now what's interesting is that Paul greets, after he greets them in this letter, he shares some encouragement from the letter. In other words, he, be, he begins there in, in verse 4 by saying that he thanks God always for the grace of God that was given to them by Christ Jesus. Now, Paul is writing to confront them about their division, their immorality. But he shares with them that he thanks God for the grace that has been given to them. Now, it appears to me that Paul was one of those people who tried to see the good in all things. He was one of those people who, who was living in a sinful world and saw all the sin around him. But he 
still tried to see the good. We understand that, don't we? Paul was in a prison. He was in a dungeon. Him and Silas chained. And all of a sudden, they begin to sing songs to Zion. And as they're singing and praising God, the shackles fell off. God moved. He, he, was, he was in a time where we would have been sad. We would have felt afflicted. But Paul began to praise God even then. And even when he was under house arrest, when he had a different guard every six hours coming and chaining himself to him, Paul saw that as an opportunity to write all the epistles that are credited to him from prison. He wrote them while under house arrest. Paul didn't sit there and sulk, oh, woe is me, I've been arrested. No, he saw the glass half full rather than half empty. He saw an opportunity to write the churches to address their needs. But not only that, he saw an opportunity to share the gospel with those guards who were chained to him. Man, <laughs> while living in this world, we can choose. We can choose whether or not we're going to be positive or we're going to be negative. We can choose whether we're going to see the glass half empty or half full. We can choose whether we're going to get the benefit of the doubt or we're going to just condemn. We get to make that choice and I'm sure... I'm not sure where you stand, but I'm sure where I stand. I believe God would rather us to be positive while living in this sin-cursed world. And if, yes, if we serve Christ, we will suffer with Christ. But we've been called to be a peculiar people. We've been called to be different from the world. As followers of Jesus Christ, we should be the most positive people on earth. Even though we're living in a time when the world is saying that there's not much to be positive about. We know that God is still on his throne. Amen. And he's still in control. It don't matter who's in the White House. It don't matter who's controlling the Senate. God is still in control. I've said this from the time I've come here, and I'll say it till I go. Whoever enters the White House as president, God's put them there for one of two reasons, either to bless us or to curse us. But he's still God, and I'm going to trust him regardless of what takes place. My prayer is that God would move upon the hearts of everyone involved in leadership from the new mother of a newborn child leading that child in this world my prayer is that God would get a hold of her heart that father that's beginning to lead his family I pray that God would get a hold of his heart that teacher that's going to lead her class I pray that God gets a hold of her heart that principal or that administrator that's leading the school or leading a department in some in some area of work I pray that God gets a hold of their heart those administrators in hospitals and, and nursing homes and, and health clinics and, and areas to where we get health care I pray that God gets a hold of their heart and lets them share with their, with their patients that God is the one in control and they're just following his orders Yes, we pray for these politicians that as they leave this country, and it's still the greatest country on earth, that God would get a hold of their hearts. It doesn't matter what party they're part of. They just need God in their heart. 
when we look here, we see a couple of things that Paul tells us to be thankful for. And one is the grace of provision. We see God's grace of provision that's given to these, these people. God gave the Corinthian church what they did not deserve. And now keep in mind, this was a church that was filled with division and immorality. And God hates division. As a matter of fact, King Solomon wrote in Proverbs 6, six things that God hates and seven is an abomination. The seventh thing we find in the latter part of verse 19, which lists one who sows discord among the brethren. As a matter of fact, Solomon goes as far and calls it an abomination. That God hates it so much that it's an abomination to God whenever there's division among God's people. And the person who's causing the division, God well, God is not the author of division. He's not the author of confusion and anyone who is dividing the sheep of God is not a part of the family of God. Because the Bible declares that it's an abomination to God. Here God still, in the midst of knowing there was division and immorality, he still, he still extends his grace to this church. And his grace is evident in the fact that he provided, with the, he provided them with all the gifts that they needed. He provided with them all the gifts any church would need. They were blessed here. The Bible tells us here in these verses, they were blessed that they have the gifts of utterance and knowledge. In other words, he, he says here that they, that they were able, they were able to not only understand God's word, but to declare the truth of God's word. They were able to speak the truth to this lost and dying world. Ephesians 4, 11 through 12, it says that he gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. You know what he's really saying? He's saying, I've given your church all that it needs to have the knowledge and the understanding to be able to speak the truth of God's word. That's what he says when he gave apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers. He gave the church the, 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 the gifts that they need to make sure that the saints of God get the knowledge they need in order to go out so they're edified here so they can go out and win other souls to the kingdom of God. And as they win other souls to the kingdom of God they come to a place like this so that they can be edified, so that they can be taught, they can be so they can go out and continue sharing the gospel. Folks, we should thank God for his faithfulness. He was faithful to them in that he gave them these gifts. And we should be thankful for his faithfulness to us. He has given this church all the gifts that we need to edify this body of believers. From preachers to, and to teachers. From preachers to teachers. And I'm not just talking about myself. I'm talking about all the preachers within this church. We've got several. And we've got preachers who's come out of this church. And, and, and we, can under, we can know that, that God has gifted the church with men who are able to preach and teach the word of God. But he's given teachers also that I'll put against any teacher in our association. We've got some of the best teachers that there is in, in the world right here in Reedy Branch. God has truly blessed this church and we ought to thank him for what he's given us. 
He's given us preachers, teachers. He's given us music, some of the best Southern gospel music, and, and mixed in with a little bit of praise and worship than we're finding any church in our area. He's given us hospitality. We got some good people who will help you find your way whenever you walk into this church. We've got people who will give of what they have. We got people of hospitality to ministry, people of discernment to service, people of of giving and, and praying to leaders and administrators. We've got the gifts that we need here to be all that God would have us to be. There's no reason we can't reach our full kingdom potential. God has blessed us with his faithfulness and we can honor him when we use his blessings to edify the body so that the body can go out and win more souls for the kingdom of God listen they were also blessed with the testimony of Christ in their hearts the believers the true believers in Corinth they knew beyond the shadow of a doubt that they were saved Now, Paul, while he was in Ephesus, he asked some of the believers there if they had received the Holy Spirit. Now, he wasn't asking them if they had began talking in tongues. That wasn't what he was asking them when he asked that. Instead, what he was asking was if they had truly believed in Jesus Christ. Paul knew other teachers had went there. And, And he... He was asking them if they had received him as their Lord and Savior. And had they followed him in obedience in the baptism of the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He was asking them if the Holy Spirit was actually made alive in them. You know, their response was, well, we were baptized in the... We were baptized in repentance. We were baptized in John's baptism. So, so honestly, they had not truly given themselves to Christ. And Paul understood that. So God, here, God will confirm in us. I want us to get this. He will confirm in a true believer that, he had, that we have been forgiven. That our names have been written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Who in here knows your name's been written in the Lamb's Book of Life? How do you know that? God has confirmed that to you. I know my name's been recorded because God has confirmed it to me. Not because of what someone told me. Not because of what someone taught me. Not because of what someone preached to me. But God has shared with me through his word that I am his and he is mine. This is done through the power of the Holy Spirit when he is awakened within us. When he's quickened or made alive within us, we become a new creation. All things have passed away and all things become new. And we know this because there's a stirring of the Holy Spirit within us. Whenever we fall in our old ways, he stares us. He stares us in a way that makes us uncomfortable. And we realize that we have failed God and, and, that we, and it breaks our heart and we end up in repentance. And folks, I've said this over and over and over. And I'll say this until the Lord takes me home. But if you can willfully sin and the Holy Spirit of God doesn't break your heart, then you've never been saved. You're not in a backslidden condition. You've never been saved. Want me to tell you what a backslider will feel? He'll feel that conviction 
And either out of pride, out of fear, or out of false teaching, he'll feel like God won't take him back. Or God won't have her back. But if you can willfully sin, and you're not convicted by God's spirit, he's not awakened within you. You've never been saved. Paul went as far with these Corinthian believers to say this to them. He said, you've come short of no gifts. No gifts. In other words, there was no spiritual gift that they lacked. There was no spiritual gift whatsoever that this this church with all its problems, it stood equal with the strongest churches as it related to possessing the spiritual gifts. So there was no excuse for them to be filled with division and immorality. But folks, it's one thing. It's one thing to have the spiritual gifts, but it's another thing for the gifts to be active. Spiritual gifts are tools that God's blessed us with to use for us to evangelize the lost and to disciple believers. You know, I have a lot of tools in my building at home. I have some scattered out in the the house also. Some of these tools I use regularly. Some of them I rarely ever use. Some I've got just in case I ever need to use it. You know, I've got this fetish with tools. I don't know what it is, but I walk into a, a, tool, a store filled with tools and I go to looking and, and seeing what I want. But what I've come to understand is those tools are no good to be when I'm not using them. They're taking up space. They're wasted when they're not being used. You know what? That dollar you got in your pocket, as long as it's in your pocket, it's no good to you. It's only good to you when you use it. And these tools I have, some of them, they're just, if they ever be used, they're useless until they are used. Having them's not profitable. But using what I have is profitable. When the spiritual gifts that the church is blessed with are in use, then those gifts are profitable. They're stirring our hearts to the reality that of the life, the death, the burial, the resurrection, and the return of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And the more active these gifts are, the more stirred we become, and we become more anticipating the return of our soon-coming King. You know, when we are walking about, going through our daily lives, never thinking about Jesus coming back today, It's because we're not using the spiritual gifts that he's given us. Folks, we ought to be anticipating his coming. Not to the point to where we're like the the Thessalonians, to where they were just standing around gazing. They they stopped working. They stopped providing for their families. They stopped doing what they needed to do. They just started looking around. Not to that extent. Instead, we should be prepared, living our lives out so that we're prepared when he comes. At any moment of the day. In other words. That we're not ashamed. Of what God catches us doing. When he comes. That's what Paul was saying here to the church. You've got these gifts. And I thank God. That you have these gifts. But he's also thankful for God's promise. As we. 
try to make a quick exit here. God, we see Paul, Paul is thanking God for his promise. God, had given, uh, God has given us the promise of assurance. Here in verse 8, Paul tells us that the Lord Jesus Christ will confirm you to the end. That word confirm, it actually means to preserve, to establish, to secure. Jesus Christ will preserve and secure the true believers. In other words, Jesus will make us blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now this is exactly what the scripture is saying now I don't want us to misunderstand this those of us who have truly received Jesus as our Lord and Savior we will stand before him and at the judgment seat of Christ we will stand blameless now this will not take place because of what you've done this is not going to take place because we've been good enough because we've not been good enough we can never live good enough on this side of life, in this flesh, to stand before the Messiah, to stand before the Holy One, to stand before the Christ, and to stand blameless. No, we'll never do that. Then how is it we get to stand blameless, you may ask? <laughs> well, it's because... Jesus left the splendor of heaven. He came to this sin-cursed world. He lived a sinless and perfect life and in perfect obedience to the Father. He died in our place. He took our unrighteousness and he nailed it to the cross. And when we truly receive him as our Lord and Savior, he places his righteousness upon us. 2 Corinthians 5 and 21 tells us that for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. That while... that. That we might become the righteousness of God in him. In other words, we have no righteousness. Our righteousness is as filthy rags. Unless we have Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we can never be held blameless or righteous. In this flesh, no, we are not righteous. We are sinners saved by grace. But when our Heavenly Father sees us, Something changes. Those of us who truly believed and received Jesus as our personal Savior. He sees us through the righteousness of his only begotten son. And, and therefore through Christ we are made blameless. Not in of ourselves but through him. And Paul is telling the Corinthians you're blameless. And I thank God that because you are believers now he's writing to the true believers in Corinth there were some who weren't true believers but he's writing to the believers and he's telling them that you are blameless in Christ and they're only blameless in Christ folks we should thank God for his faithfulness in giving us the opportunity to have fellowship with him also. Look there in verse 9. He says, God is faithful by whom you were called into fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Listen, unsaved. When you see Christians fellowshipping with one another and you see them enjoying their time with each other in the Lord. But that's what we do. You know, fellowship... It's a Christian word. And if you're not a Christian, you can't fellowship. You can socialize all you want. But fellowship is more than socialization. 
Fellowship is more than socializing with your neighbor. Fellowship is, is having this common bond in Jesus Christ. And, and though we may be in conversation, the conversation moves toward Jesus Christ. That's when you're having true fellowship with someone. But to be in fellowship with Jesus Christ is much greater than being in fellowship with one another. To be in fellowship with Jesus Christ is to become the adopted child of God. Romans 8, 15 through 17 says, For you did not receive the spirit of bondage, again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness to our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then we're heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. Indeed, we suffer with him that we may be glorified together. And God has no desire for this to be a temporary thing. God is calling us into an eternal fellowship with his son, our elder brother. Jesus is the only begotten of the father. But you can be joined with many of us as an adopted child of God. It's up to you. God has done everything needed. He is faithful. So the question becomes today, will you call on the one who by his grace provides everything that we need? For this church, he provided all the spiritual gifts that they needed to flourish. But he was also faithful to his promise. He stood with them so that when anyone unsaved come to know Jesus as their savior, that God engrafted them. He adopted them into his family. And we become joint heirs with our elder brother. Yes, God is faithful. So the question is today. Will you call on Jesus and make him Lord and Savior of your life? The question is, will you trust him enough to give your life to him? I'm convinced and I believe that the believers in this place would say, if you trust him, you receive him. As your Lord and Savior, you will thank him for all that he does. Oh, for what he'll do is so much greater than anything you could ever accomplish on your own. Oh, today we must thank him. Church, we must thank him for what he's done. He's brought us to this point. March of 2020. We had no idea. We thought this virus would last maybe to April. April come, they said the heat would kill it and it would just come back in the fall. But it never left us. Seems like it sped up during the summer months. But if you recall, the unrest intensified also in the summer months. To where we didn't know what was going to take place. Holiday season came about in the fall and they said, don't gather for Thanksgiving. 
They said, don't gather for Christmas. And now we're in a new year and they're telling us still keep from gathering. But God is faithful. Yes, we have to take our precautions. We have to do what is necessary for us to be safe. But God is faithful in keeping us. Listen, do the, do the numbers yourself. Our county, this county, well over 10,000 affected with this virus. And less than 200 died of it. Those, those numbers are very small fractions. Now, it doesn't matter if it's your loved one, how small the fraction is that this virus took. That doesn't matter. But what we can know is that God is still on his throne and he's faithful. God is still in control of this thing. I know it rains on the just and the unjust, but as one passed from complications of the virus, so could have everyone who's had it. But God is faithful. I don't know if I get it or not. I don't know. If I survive it or not. But I do know this. God is faithful. Unsaved. I wouldn't play a game. With God. God is faithful. And he's faithful to his word. (laughs) He's not faithful to you. He's faithful to his word. And he's going to give, he's given you every opportunity to know his son is your savior. If you're sitting in this place today, you've had every opportunity. If you never get another opportunity, he's justified because he's being faithful. Would you today, would you today make Jesus your Lord, would you today come to gain a knowledge of really how faithful he is?